0: Are there really angels and demons? Is there a real person known as the devil? Is there something deeper? Is there an unseen battle waging for the souls of this blue planet? If so, then how do we respond? In this series, Pastor Ronnie answers those questions and more as we look at what the Bible says about angels, demons, and spiritual warfare. Now prepare your heart to hear from God today. Ephesians 6 10 through 20. making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me, and the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly, as I ought to speak. This is the reading of God's word.
1: Well, if you're unsaved, and so you didn't know that that was the movie 300, uh, we'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. Or Gladiator, sorry. 300, 300's next week. So next week. Uh, yeah, I tried to carve out 300. You have no idea how much uh, editing Lee had to do for us so we could watch 300 next week. So, uh, sorry, that is Gladiator Russell Crowe in Gladiator. And um, the reason I wanted you to see that is a couple different reasons. Number one, he is actually wearing almost the full, what would be considered a Roman um, uh, armor. He's missing a helmet. Uh, but outside of that, he's, he's in full armor. And uh, there's two things that happen to me every time I watch uh, that um, portion if you will, is one, we take spiritual warfare way too lightly. Way too lightly. Like that makes us like, oh, that's kind of, instead of saying, oh, snap, that's kind of what I'm in the middle of. And I either need to do something and be ready, or I just like, oh, you know what? Not a big deal at all. The second thing that always gets me that I struggle a great deal with um, is to think about the thousands of Christians that died that way. In that same Colosseum, in um, everything from fed to lions to fighting gladiators to being covered in tar and then burned alive. I'm like, you know, I don't know that I want to really, you know, share my faith at work. It's, uh, the struggle is real. No, you're soft. I'm soft. And uh, the truth is that uh, um, Hebrews chapter 12 talks about uh, um, uh, the, the, what's before us for the great cloud of witness. And people paid way too high of a price for us to keep our mouths closed when it comes to the gospel of Jesus. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, if you wouldn't mind standing with me and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. I know that I've used different texts to help us interpret the text, but I really just want to hammer down the next two weeks as we look at the last ten verses of this scripture. In Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 10. And I'm only going to read five verses to you today. Erin uh, did a great job reading this to uh, all of it to us, but I'm only going to read a portion of what she read. Finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Everybody say his might. His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes or as we looked at the tactics of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic power over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you that we get to take a moment and just encounter your presence uh, by reading your word and studying your word. Father, I pray that you help me uh, to communicate uh, your truth effectively and that we would be reminded that this is all about Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. 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 You can be seated. By a show of hands, who has ever been knocked out? Anybody? One, two, three, four. Okay, good deal. Good deal. I'm going to tell you about the first time I got knocked out. Uh, I was in middle school and I was playing football and I played a position called tailback, which was basically I did that and I played safety. Uh, I was a, not a receiver and not a recei- uh, and not a, um, a running back. Basically, I wasn't didn't run crisp enough routes to be a receiver and I wasn't fast enough to be a running back, uh, so they just put me there. But they also had me return all the punts and all the kickoffs. So it was the first game of the season put on my shoulder pads, I put on my uh, knee pads, I put on my thigh pads, I put on my helmet, I have my mouthpiece in, I'm ready to go, and we get the ball first, so I know I'm getting to return a kickoff, I'm pumped about it. I see the ball coming to me, and I catch it, and I go to the right, and I just start sprinting up the sideline, and it gets congested quickly. And I know that it's not going to be a good enough return. There's no way I'm running this one back. And so I I hook to the left. I kind of fake one guy out. I think I see a seam, and then I have no idea what happened, but I woke up at my house. I I got hit so hard. Like, I, there's a part of me, like, I remember, like, kind of being on the sideline, and I hear my mom's voice, like, trying not to have a heart attack, right? I can remember there's a part, but I don't remember anything until I woke up at the house. And I don't remember if it was the same day or the next day. Poor mom had to wake me up, like, every two hours because I had a concussion or whatever, you know, a lot of fun. And, uh, but I got knocked out, needing smelling salt. Uh, whoever hit me, hit me hard. And the point for me, and what I want you to get today, is I was fully armored. I had on every piece of protective wear that I was supposed to have, being engaged in the sport that I was playing. And it was one hit that I didn't see coming, that blindsided me, that knocked me out. And I think that's how a lot of Christians, we fight but we don't fight fully armored. We fight, but we fight on our own strength. We fight, but I think I'm Russell Crowe, right? I got this. I can do it by myself. I'm a gladiator. The Bible doesn't tell me any of that. And yet we try and we try and we try. I've said this every week and uh, probably should uh, make postcards or something. Do not think for a second. That if you don't fight, you won't have to. Some of us think, well, I just won't be actively engaged in spiritual warfare. I won't sacrificially serve the bride of Christ. I won't sacrificially advance the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. You know what? I'll just kind of play it safe. And I don't find us playing it safe anywhere in scripture. And I know this is a joke, but hashtag the struggle is real. But it really is. And it's not against flesh and blood. It's not your boss. It's not your in-laws. It's not your parents. It's not the government. As Ian Spottedwood Bear would say, thanks, Obama. Although he says that all the time, it's just hysterical to me. It's not. It has nothing to do with any of those things. Are there undertones behind the way our culture is? Or Absolutely. I'm not denying that. But the fact of the matter remains the same, that your adversary, who you are fighting against, is not only flesh and blood. That's not the primary focus for what's attacking you, what's being brought up against you, and what you have to overcome. I'm going to quote from the art of war. It should be on the screen behind me. So it is said that if you know your enemies and know yourself, you can win 100 100 battles without a single loss. If you only know yourself but not your opponent, you may win or may lose. If you know neither yourself nor your enemy, you will always endanger yourself. Today we're going to take a look at three pieces of the armor. We've looked at the adversary. We've looked at his tactics. We've tried to have a better understanding of who he is. Um, But I do believe this, and 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 we'll kind of see how this all ties back together next week. I believe they're all intentionally put in this order. I think Paul was thinking through exactly how these pieces needed to be. And so we're going to Study them in order. We're going to unpack them in order. But first it says this, we must put on the whole armor of God. And many people teach that Paul used the Roman soldier as his, you know, um, example, if you will, or as his mo- model. And I can't imagine Paul, you know, being chained to a Roman soldier for quite a while, not having that influence the way that he was describing things to us. You know, what, being, uh, being chained to Paul must have been a very scary thing. I mean, I can't even imagine the rumors that were going around there, especially in some of the texts that you can read in the letters that he writes. I mean, it says that the, there's many times the whole guard came to know Christ. Being, being chained to Paul chained, changed families, changed generations. And so as Paul is chained to a Roman soldier, and I think that uh, it's probably reasonable to say that he did use that as his model, but I also want to make sure that I clarify. You can find Paul is quoting Scripture. In every one of these, he is quoting from the Old Testament. You just have to do some homework, and you have to see. And I'll share at least one example with you. One um, matter of fact, in Isaiah fifty-nine, it speaks of the armor of God. It says, "The armor of the Lord." The word um, that I, I think is um, the word "armor" is only used one other time in, in, in the New Testament jesus is actually speaking about a strong man having another person who is stronger come and take him and it's a parable and it's the only other time that this word is used and i think it's really important that what we have to realize is we have to put on christ romans chapter 13 verse 14 says this but put on the lord jesus christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires it says to put on Christ. There's no stronger armor than Christ. We don't have to worry about Jesus' reference. But if you are putting on the armor yourself and it's only about you and it's you trying to do it in your own strength, you're totally missing the point and it's useless and futile for us to unpack the rest of this armor. In uh, the book of Galatians chapter 3, it says, For as many of you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And then in Romans chapter 8, it says, For all who are led by, who have put on Christ, are led by the Spirit of God, are sons of God. We have to be led by Christ. We have to put on Christ. Let me explain this about the the pieces of armor. They're not about you. The pieces of armor are... Aren't your armor? I'm reminded of David whenever he is uh, going to go fight Goliath. And Saul says, hey, put on, put, I want you to go ahead and armor up. And David puts on all of Saul's armor. And David had never, not only had never wore armor before, but Saul's a grown man. David is not. And he puts on a grown man's armor, armor that was fitted for the, a grown man. And he, he was so uncomfortable with it. He goes, I'm not fighting this way. And I think a lot of Christians, we treat Jesus in his armor the same way David treated Saul's armor. I really don't need that piece. You know what? I got the sword of the spirit. Woo, everybody's favorite. Right? I'm sorrow. I only need that one. I got that one, so I'm okay. And that's how we treat this armor. The same way David treated Saul's And the Bible is clear that we have to put on the armor of God. We have to put on the armor of Christ. It's not about us. After it tells us that we have to put on the full armor, not our favorite pieces, the full armor, it then tells us to stand firm. We as the church must be able to stand firm. We have to be able to. You, as a follower of Jesus, a Christian, must be able to stand firm. We have to stand firm in courage and strength knowing that our strength comes from the Lord, and it's not our own strength anyway. We have to be able to stand firm in the gospel, realizing that it's the gospel that changes lives. It's not eloquent words. It's not great worship, although, well, eloquent words aside, we have great worship. I mean, it's, it's, that's not what does it. And, and whatever I do up here today, or whoever is up here ever does from here, There's a ton of preparation that goes in. I hope that that is seen. But the fact of the matter remains that the Holy Spirit is the one that has to do the work. We have to be able to stand in the gospel and believe that it changes lives and it sets people free. And it takes dead men and it makes them alive. We have to stand in faith, believing our faith that's placed in Christ is good faith. We have to stand in liberty and freedom I mean, the the Bible is a freeing book. It's not a restrictive, rule-giving, lightning-bolt-throwing God in heaven. It is a loving Father that places protection around us because He doesn't want us to be hurt or misled. You get liberty that's found in Christ. We have to stand in unity as the church. As I hope you understand the mission around here is to reach people. If you're coming here so you can hear a self-help seminar or feel better about yourself in the week, I invite you not to come back. We want to be a battleship, right? Remember week one? Where we are, with the power of the Holy Spirit, seeking out people who are lost and disenfranchised. And the opportunities are before you every week, whether you see them or not. I'll give you one in just a minute first piece of armor is the belt of truth. The belt of a Roman soldier was anywhere between six and eight inches wide. It was a huge piece of leather. And it's really not, some would say, a piece of the armor, but I would say that you can't have the rest of the armor unless you have the belt. It's impossible. The belt uh, would tie down the clothing, And so it would give the soldier more uh, movement. The belt was especially useful in keeping all the other pieces of armor in place. A Roman soldier would have a sword that we're going to get to next week. I believe it's really specific, and I think it's powerful, as uh, Paul even mentions it later, teaser. Uh, But they also would have a shield. They would have a helmet, and then they would carry two javelins, a heavy javelin and a light javelin. All this had to be somewhere kept intact, and that's what the belt did. What is, the, what is truth? I think is a pretty interesting question. I think the question is asked still today in academia and philosophy. It's, well, what is truth? It's the same question Pilate asked Jesus 2,000 years ago. And this question is something that we all have to realize that it's God's truth that's at our center. We have to be able to trust that the word of God is reliable. We have to have that truth as what holds everything else together. It's different than the sword of the Spirit, and I'll touch on that later. But 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. We take every thought captive to obey christ that's what we have to do when it comes to truth truth listen i uh, this is going to sound harsh and i want i say this in love i don't care how you feel well that i just really don't i don't that doesn't make me feel right i that's not what scripture asked you scripture didn't say hey how do you feel about this current cultural predicament scripture says this is truth and this is what holds all things together The belt of truth is important. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Finally, brothers, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. It is important that you are rooted and grounded in truth. Think for a moment if you're in the battle and your belt slips off. Think about how vulnerable you would be. If your Christianity is not grounded in the divine revelation of Jesus Christ, what you have is a weak uh, faith and a very shaky center. And it's going to crumble the moment your metal is tested. You guys know I'm transparent. This happens to me. It's like, God, I'm trying to trust that this is the direction that what you told me is true. And then what do I do? I'm like, well... And maybe that promise doesn't apply to me. Or you know what? Maybe he's not for me. Maybe he's still holding something against me. And we, we, we played this game instead of just standing on the truth. And that's also why so many people are drawn towards this false doctrine of self-help and Dr. Phil theology. It teaches that there's a life without adversity. Just show me one place at that, that. Show me one person. Give me one example in biblical context that did not face a sanctifying adversity that draw them closer to God. One. If you have one, text it to me later. I've looked of search scripture. There's no, God did not give us one biblical example of that. And yes, that's what we want to do. We want to water down, remove truth. The belt of truth allows the Christian to walk in faith and believe in truth and believing in the word of God. And without this, then you're ineffective in battle. Because this is what you say. Well, Romans 1 is one thing, but I believe John 3, that God came to save her for God came to give his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. But Romans chapter 1, I struggle with that. And your theology and your your truth and your core crumbles quickly. The breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness was typically... um, made of metal or bronze is what you'll see a lot in from the or it was in the roman time it was backed by a thick piece of leather as it was placed upon you and it's uh probably the one of the most important parts of your body if you think about it one shot to the heart to the stomach to the lung i mean you're toast i mean it covers everything every vital organ And it's there as your protection. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, For our sake he, speaking of God, made him, speaking of Christ, to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul goes on to explain in Romans chapter three, but now the righteousness of God has been made manifest apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as propitiation. It's a fancy word that means he took your place. There was something. That you owed a penalty, a, a debt that you owed, you didn't, you couldn't pay, and so he paid it for you by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because he has divine forbearance; he has passed over our former sins, and it was to show us his righteousness at this present time, so that he might be just as the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. It's not your righteousness. It's Christ. I know James talks about good works, and, and it's Ashley's actually favorite book of the Bible, so we, we talk about it quite a bit in our home. But it's not your record, it is not your righteousness. It's Christ's righteousness that has to protect you, that has to be delivering you. I want you to think for a moment of taking a vital blow. We've all seen it in the movies where the person is slowly dying. You know, once you're wounded in the area of righteousness and you you become ineffective, we put on the righteousness of Christ. This means our faith in Christ justifies us and declares us as righteous. Two points. These are subpoints. If there is sin in your life, and we all have something, a secret sin, The struggle that we have, anger, lust, covetousness, pride, whatever it is that you're wrestling with, I need you to know that there's a responsibility for you to take that to the foot of the Father, confess your sin, ask Jesus to forgive you, and when that takes place, God sees you as righteous. It's not our own merit. That's point number one. Point number two is that the devil... Loves to attack this. He does. He loves to attack you through guilt, shame, condemnation. He strikes at the core of who the Christian is. And what he's striking at really is, although we take it personally, and I know that it is, he is striking at was the cross really good enough? When you wrestle with repented sin, Sin that you've already confessed and the adversary still brings up and whispers in your ear. He's basically saying, hey, was the cross really good enough? He's basically saying, hey, 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 you're really not forgiven. You didn't do it standing on your head in the right place, holding your finger over your nose with your your toes curled. Easy for me to say. Like we act like it has to be done in this certain specific way and And he plays right at this. He attacks the righteousness of Christ. We stand boldly before a just God and a loving Father, completely righteous because of the righteousness of Christ. The belt of truth and righteousness. Shoes ready with the gospel of peace. This is some fabulous footwear, right? Right? I don't know what it is. It could be Prada. I don't even know if that's really a brand. The Roman soldiers had some interesting footwear. If you study them, there's a, a Jewish historian. He even mentions Christ. He was a Jew. He wasn't saved. But he speaks a lot of first century, that that time period. And Josephus says that they had a the Roman military had a thick piece of leather, And then they were the first people to actually stick what looked like nails through the leather so that they could have firm footing. Good footing is is key to anything, whether you're squaring up and jumping and taking a jump shot in basketball, whether your feet are firmed whenever I golf, which it doesn't matter where I put my feet. I still can't do this sport, although I love it. If anybody wants to take me, just let me know. We'll schedule a play date. love to play. I just don't know if what I do is actually called golf. In boxing, they teach firm footing. I mean, even in wrestling, I mean, it all starts around where you're stable. Your footing is so vital. It's funny to me that, um, um, Matthew Henry is actually quoting another doctor, and I just want to read you this quote. That you may be ready for combat, be shod with the gospel of peace, endeavor after the peaceable and quiet mind with the gospel calls for. Our minds are so noisy, we don't even have time for the gospel of peace to do its work in our lives. We don't. What does it look like? It looks like us not being easily provoked. Get in the car with me and ride 169. You'll see how shallow I really am embarrassing or not prone to quarrel and there's some that like social media is just it's an epidemic it really is like I cannot tell you how juvenile I am where I've typed out responses like with like links and I'm like this isn't love and it's doing nothing for the gospel but this person is so wrong and so not educated and uh I'm like, I, I, I think I'm doing them a favor by commenting and making them right. And, and I don't. I typically just handle it by hiding that person out of my feed because I don't have the uh, gumption to defriend them. Um, but the gospel of peace is a beautiful thing. And it, 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 it taught, it, we're, we're in action with it, and, and, and we're, we're responding to it, and we're moving forward with it. It's important that everywhere you go, you are taking the gospel of Christ with you to Walmart, to your cubicle, to your corner office, whatever. And that you are constantly moving forward with the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace leaves no room for us to be easily provoked. People aren't going to like you and what you stand for. He goes goes on to quote, he says, And this will certainly preserve you from many great temptations and persecutions, as it did the brass of the soldiers. And he's speaking of the Roman soldiers' footwear. It's the gospel of peace. Isaiah 26, verse 3 says this, "Um, You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. You know a lot of the worry... I can't remember the statistics, someone chop it up, but it's in the eighties. 80s. Eighty something percent of what you worry about never actually happens. Eighty percent of what you and I worry about never actually happen. If you're ever driving with my wife on um, and you're driving, and you cross a dam, just pull along the side and park right there. Just park and take it in. She really loves that. My wife won't even let, like, I have to, she won't even, <laughs> we were at a beautiful bridge in, in, down in, uh, where were we were, New Orleans, and I was like, we should pull over and take a photo, and you would have thought, I said, hey, I'm thinking about getting another wife. I mean, she <laughs> freaked out, right, and she's worried about this bridge, But she, like, anyway, so what is it, and I'm not I love you, and it's okay, I have my anxieties too, but we we worry about things that she's worried about, like the bridge collapsing while we're on it. I'm like, for the love. Yes, there's a lot of kids that get out of the river, right, whatever. The point is, right, we're consumed by things that will never happen, and it steals our peace. We are consumed by our current circumstance and we do need to be like planning. I think there is an important part of being ready for what the future brings you. But would you just live for today? Would you let the peace of God that passes all understanding just cover you? In Philippians 4 it says, let the peace of God which passes all understanding guard your hearts. Would you let the gospel of peace guard your heart? Would you let the good news that of what Jesus has done lead and guide you? In closing, and I have to close because of time. But in the next two week, or next week, excuse me, I'm going to try to finish up the armor um, the best I can. You know, the belt of truth is is important because it's the center. And you're all when, when you're studying the Word of God. And in, in if well, let me rephrase it in a statement instead of a question: uh, If you are studying the Word of God and you don't find tension, and you're not digging deep, enough. you're not. I, I come across like passages all the time. Like I'm, I'm studying um, I'm in my quiet times because I try to have a personal devotion that's beyond what we are studying for for our church. I'm in Jeremiah. And I'm towards the end of the book of Jeremiah. And man, I just, there's like, there's real struggles for me. Like, I, I'm trying to understand why God allows certain things to happen. I'm like, God, this, I think mean, I'm reading this and me and him are having my conversation in my chair. I'm like, God, this isn't even his fault. That's like his dad and his grandfather. Are you kidding me? This is what's going to happen because of what somebody else did? There's tension. But everything that we read always points back to Christ. Everything that you're studying, it always points back to Jesus and what he did on the cross. And if that belt, if your center is not there, then you've missed the the entire point of all of the text. And if truth isn't governing your life, something else will be and probably is a lie. I'm not good enough. It's a lie. God doesn't have a good plan for me. He's to me. That's a lie. And the only way you know what truth is, is if you start to wrestle with the tension that Scripture gives us. And if you start to understand it as truth and not suggestive. I was talking to the guys this morning. My beautiful wife got me a surprise book, which I love surprises. Um, she got me a Tim Keller book on preaching. And like, I've already murdered like a few chapters, and, and, and I'm like trying to meditate on it too. But it was interesting to me that the point, one of his points, is that the reason that most pastors don't like to preach exegesisly or like what we're trying to do where we unpack Scripture with Scripture, we unpack Scripture, but we're actually breaking down a, sec, a portion of Scripture is because most people don't want their opinions messed with. And so you probably have an opinion. I have an opinion that I've brought in here today that doesn't stand with the Word of God. It doesn't align with it, but it makes us feel better. And when we do that, man, we we are just demolishing everything that the Scripture is built upon. And you can't run a race without good footwear. I always joke, you know, I was on my feet all the time at my old job. I, I, would, I would buy the cheapest pants in the entire world. I would buy belts that were off color, didn't even match, although I'd always tried to find them to match the shoes. But I would never buy cheap shoes. <laughs> right? It, it's funny to me whenever I look at things like, well, that's what we do with the gospel. We cheapen it. We would take the gospel of Christ and be like, oh, well, this is what works for me, but it might not work for you. That's a It's a good Greek word. Gospel of truth, and then the righteousness of Christ. When you put it on to protect you, realize that well, you're not putting on your good works. Although I believe that Jesus says that we can see people who are following Jesus, that they bear fruit. I think that's important. That people see the fruit of the Spirit in your life. I want to close with the beginning. It says this in Ephesians 6, 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. It's the cross. It's his strength. It's not your strength. It's his might, not your might. Paul is closing out this letter to the Ephesians, and he's basically taught them how to live. He's saying, hey, this is what it looks like to live like a follower of Jesus. And he breaks it down in what we have is six chapters, but it was one letter. And he's showing them, hey, this is what the Christian walk looks like. And before he breaks all this down, he says, be strong in his might. You know, it's interesting to me to Exodus 14, chapter 4, verse 14, is Ashley's favorite scripture, and it says this, the Lord himself will fight for you, just stay calm, just be still, just be at peace. Whenever we are standing firm and when this midst of this battle and things are totally weighed against us and the scales don't look good in our favor, we have the, the ability in Jesus, that we are resting in his might, his strength, in his plan. I don't know what battle you're fighting today, but will you be strong? Not in your might, not in my might, not in your heritage, not in your ancestry, in your might. Will you stop trying to live that way and start living in his might? I do it in my might all the time. to win this battle by myself. And it says, be strong in his might. Let me put it to you this way. God has a reserve of might and power that needs to be realized in the Christian life. It needs to be realized in your life. It needs to be realized in my life. It's his might, his strength. Dr. David Giswick, he says that there's three approaches that fall short. And I want to give them to you because I hear them a lot and they drive me cuckoo for puffs i do everything and god does nothing there are some people that really believe you know what god just is kind of taking his hand off the wheel and he does nothing the other approach sounds like this i do nothing and god does everything you know what god you know who who's going to come to know christ god's already got that under control i don't have to do anything about that i don't really need to share my faith i don't need to step out in faith the third one sounds like this I do all I can and God helps me with what I can't you know that's another false teaching of self help Christianity it says this I've heard people quote this as a verse like they put it in memes God helps those who help themselves like where do you find that garbage from you know the beautiful thing the key is resting in his might being completely dependent upon him for the belt of truth, feet ready with the gospel, our covering of righteousness. We are wrestling, hear me, we are wrestling against a highly organized army of demonic forces of the adversary's tactic is to lead you to discouragement, frustration and confusion and he does this really for the Christian in two ways one through moral failure and two through doctrinal error he hopes that you blow it and he, in, in sin and he hopes that you misinterpret his scripture that's his goal misapply scripture people that are going to make you stronger i hope you guys are reading a proverb every day and if you are proverbs is constantly teaching not doing ministry or life by yourself my question to you today is simple do you have the ability to stand firm because you have a great appreciation for jesus and the gospel have the ability to be completely dependent upon His might? Or are you still trying to earn and <laughs> earn your righteousness?